I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. After spending most of the last episode talking about how I've been using the iPad and the Surface, I feel like it's time for us to really go over the deep end. And I'm going to switch to Android with the Samsung Galaxy Tab S6. You can't be stopped. You will switch <laughs> to anything or any time. It's kind of funny to me, really, that genuinely, if we did not do this show, I would not know that the Samsung Galaxy Tab S6 existed. I just wouldn't know. So the thing is, the Galaxy Tab has been around for a very long time. And I think it's easy to kind of ignore some Samsung stuff. Like, for example, the Galaxy Watch. I feel like I did a video on that, like, 2012 or something like they've been making a lot of these products for a very long time but they generally go under the radar and unless you're really into the samsung ecosystem most people don't really pay much attention because a lot of this stuff works either only with samsung devices or very very much sort of in a better way if you're using a galaxy and you're really kind of invested in the ecosystem but most people don't really talk about the samsung ecosystem most people think about it in much more of a general android sort of context yeah do you have any kind of sense for if these are like well-selling products? Do people buy the Samsung tablets? I mean, they've been pretty consistently making tablets, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years now. So they have a, a different range of tablets. So I think one of the things that Samsung does well, and probably their bigger sellers, are their more affordable tablets. So they've been making like sub $200 tablets for years now. Right. I don't know how well they sell, but I very much assume that sort of a lot of people might look at a Fire 7 or something and go, oh, you know what? I think I'd rather spend a little bit more and get full Android. And so you very much see like when you walk through the stores here, it's like, oh, it's Ga Galaxy Tab, 129, 149. Like it's very much sort of on the more budget end of things. But that being said, they actually do have some decent mid-range and higher-end tablets. So with the S5e was actually where I sort of started when I was considering maybe like, okay, I want to switch to some kind of Android tablet. I really haven't given this sort of a, a, a fair shake. But then the S6 came out, I believe it was... July or August last year. And it very much seems like, on the paper at least, almost more of an iPad Pro competitor at a couple hundred dollars less. There, are, I mean, we're going to get into it, but like there's a lot of ways that something can compete, right? Like you can say that you're competing on price and, and whatever, and that can be fine, but you've kind of got to have the whole experience to back it up to be an actual true competitor, right? Yes. And I, I mean, I just feel like for most people, it would make way more sense that if they don't want to use an Apple product here, they don't use an iPad, it would make maybe more sense to go to Surface. But I can understand that maybe you want to be in the Android ecosystem yeah. completely because that's what your phone is. But then you run into the problems of, well, is Android in the tablet ecosystem? Right. Like, and oh. we'll, get to, we'll get to that later on. So obviously, this is continuing the trend of laptop replacements, which we've been talking about um, quite a bit over the last few episodes, right? So I kind of want to get a sense for the Tab S6. Is this a laptop replacement or is this a, more of a tablet? Like, where does it fall in that line? Like, is it more iPad or more Surface? Because Surface definitely goes way heavier on the this is a laptop than Apple does with the whole iPad line. So where does kind of Samsung fall? I would say it's much more a tablet that can do some laptop stuff. It reminds me of where, honestly, the iPad was maybe two or three years ago. Right. So the thing with the Galaxy Tab S6, which is what I've been sort of dailying and using pretty frequently over the last week or two for an upcoming sort of bigger project on, on the YouTube channel, is that it has sort of, when you look at it, it looks very much like a Surface or very, very much like an iPad, right? So it's a 10.5 inch. It's an AMOLED screen, which is really nice to see on a tablet. Super high resolution looks great very very sort of thin design but you can pick up an optional keyboard attachment which is you know pretty much exactly like what you would get on the surface or on the ipad you have mm. the full-size keyboard well <clears throat> sorry you have a keyboard that is maybe a little bit smaller than uh, i'm used to even on the ipad or the surface but you have a full keyboard you have a trackpad and when you attach it all you can use it as very much like a 
I would say it's almost closer to something like Windows or specifically it really feels like a Chromebook when you're using it, which I'll talk about. There's a couple different modes for this thing. But generally speaking, I think it's more so of a tablet that can be used as a laptop and a pinch. It doesn't feel like it's really designed as a laptop first in the way something like the Surface is. Right. But form factor wise, it's kind of like the sizing and stuff is a mix between maybe an iPad and a Surface because it's 10 and a half inches but it's more what is the screen aspect ratio because it's not 1610 oh 1610 yes so it's a little bit of a more wide display why 1610 (laughs) i don't i don't know man (laughs) that's that's interesting i guess (laughs) i mean if you think about a tablet as something which is good for watching video obviously a wider aspect ratio means you don't have as large of sort of black bars on top and bottom. You also think about it in the context of a lot of laptops like MacBooks, like my Dell XPS, for example, they all use a 1610 aspect ratio, which gives you a little bit more of that vertical real estate. It's not crazy. And honestly, using it, while yes, I did kind of miss, specifically going from the surface to the tab, I missed a little bit of that vertical real estate. But realistically, when I was watching video and stuff, I was pleasantly surprised. And there's actually a lot that sort of goes for it, right? So it actually has, just like the iPad Pro, a quad speaker setup, yep, right, which is very nice. I would say it sounds maybe 85% as good, but significantly better than something like the Surface, which just has sort of two smaller speakers. You have USB-C, but no headphone jack, which... um yeah maybe don't do that i'm kind of over it but uh <laughs> yep. i mean you know it is what it is and then you also do have lte is which is optional on it because it does have a snapdragon 855 like really what's the way you can think about the tab hmm. it's essentially like a z flip that's sort of stretched out it's pretty much got the exact same spec it runs android 10 it's very similar except obviously with a little bit more of samsung's sort of tablety ui sprinkled on what makes this different from a heart because i mean looking at the pictures of it it has a lot of stuff where it kind of looks like an ipad right like a lot of the the visual design of this thing is very ipad like what is the hardware like compared to its its competitors the hardware is great like full stop so the thing that really surprised me especially when i first unboxed the tab it's thinner than the ipad pro which is already i would say almost borderline too thin yeah super thin I will say uh, I have been using it with the keyboard attachment and it is a ridiculous, ridiculous attachment. So the tab does come with the S Pen. So unlike something like the Surface or the iPad where you have to spend like $100 or whatever to get the, the stylus attachment, the S Pen is included. But unlike a lot of other S Pens on Samsung devices that sort of like slide inside the device, instead it's magnetic, which seems fine, except that unlike the Surface, which usually will put it like on the side or like the iPad where you put it on the top, this attaches to the back. So actually, I'm going to send you a photo. I I, I want you to see what this looks like. That doesn't sound like a a good place to put it because... When you're not using it, it's always in the way. Yes. Right? Like, if you want to put the tab down, talk about a camera bump. What about the pencil bump? Right? Like, <laughs> the pencil bump. That's like a big, that's a very different thing that you've got going on there. Oh, you've sent me it. Oh, that's weird. It just sits underneath the camera. Yeah. So essentially, we'll have a, a photo of this in the show notes, but essentially, there's. Oh my God, it's not even centered, is it? Oh, it's not it's... even centered. <laughs> Why would you do <laughs> If you're going to do that, Oh, God. (laughs) This is like Samsung makes some of the most peculiar choices with their design, where it's like they're a company that can make incredibly great-looking products, but they also make some really weird choices. Like, And this is like you've made two weird choices in a row here, like one to magnetically attach the pen to the back and then also to not center it. It's very strange. That's very strange to me. So it's a weird design. So it's not terrible. So it has a little sort of cutout where it does magnetically attach. It does recharge. And the S Pen is nice. But the problem, Mike, the problem is the Samsung book cover keyboard. Okay. So I'm going to send you a link. This is what the marketing images for the book cover look like. Okay. So it looks pretty normal, right? So you see that you have the keyboard. Yep. You have the touchpad. Take a look at the back of the tablet now. Yep. Do you see how it has this sort of rear cover on it? Mm-hmm. 
So the bottom part of the cover, like a surface, it does pull out like a kickstand, right? Which is nice. And the thing is, so the keyboard part will detach. So essentially what you're getting here is if you don't want the keyboard, you can use this as a sort of stand exactly like a surface. Right. That's cool. The problem is how you attach this. So magnets, right? It's got to be. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 my friend. Oh. <laughs> Adhesive. <laughs> glue what how should, should i describe how should we do this for the, for the episode should i like just describe what i'm showing yeah do we, we need to describe it right so and i can help i can help with the descriptions so you can see that this is the tab yeah it's got a front cover on it too oh that's the keyboard that's come off okay so the the keyboard coming off that's great yeah the fact that you have the kickstand here which is sort of sturdy it works well exactly like what you have on the surface although of course the surface has this built-in great now, what happens when you want to get the S Pen is you have to pull up this flap, which is hiding the S Pen. Yep, yep, yep. That's a little bit annoying. But you see how if I pull the flap back as well as the kickstand, how's it attaching, right? When you first get this, it has an adhesive strip. You have to press it down and hold it for a few minutes, and then it sort of has to rest there. This is now permanently part of my Galaxy Tab S6. So you have to really know you want this before you use it. Exactly. I, mm. I like look, I get that sure, maybe it might not be the greatest idea in the world to have like a magnetic keyboard. Like I get it. Like sometimes you might sort of start to flex on you. But the problem is this is the worst of all worlds because you can pull off the keyboard, it's still sort of flimsy like a normal keyboard would be. And you have this sort of rear back shell which never comes off. I'm sure everyone's gonna correct me and say that there's some technical way of doing it, but you literally take it, it's like a piece of like tape on the back essentially. Well, it feels like single use. Like, yeah, you could take it off, but you can't get it back on again. It's ridiculous. Because then as well, you you because the S Pen goes under that little top flap, they have to keep the bump of the S Pen there even when the S Pen's in your hand. Forever. So if you ever <laughs> so you can never use this tablet like laying down on a desk without it rocking all over the place. Exactly. And so when you want to use mm. the S Pen, you have to flip the back cover, reach around where you can't even see pull the S Pen loose, and then you have to do the same thing in reverse. By the way, the S Pen, unlike the Apple Pencil, only attaches and magnetizes one way. So if you do it the wrong way, nothing. You have to flip it around very specifically because there is a very small little plastic piece here, which will actually, I believe, is where the wireless charging is happening. Oh, it charges too. Yes, it charges. That's good that it charges, right? Like, I, that's if you're, if you're going to do the magnet thing then you should uh, and you've got a permanent place to put it having it charge is a that's a good feature like i'm pleased that they they did that too because otherwise that would have been even more annoying yes so that's so <laughs> peculiar to, to stick it on that really seems very weird it, because it seems strange to me to like go to the effort of making that accessory and not having an official way to attach it yes because they do for the S Pen. Like, they go through the trouble of... the S Does the S Pen come with the tablet? It does. So the tablet comes with the S Pen. So if you don't want to get this keyboard, and there are other covers that don't have the keyboard that are much cheaper, because... Do you have to glue those on too, though? I have no idea. I'm not going to buy any more stupid Samsung things. I'm expecting if there's a kickstand, you're gluing it on. Because... How else? They obviously, they obviously don't have magnets in this product. Absolutely not. There are magnets right? on the bottom, which is how the keyboard attaches. So theoretically, huh. theoretically, you could ignore the back panel you could just use the keyboard because that attaches directly like it's two separate pieces but the problem is is that without the back kickstand the tablet will never stand up in any way whatsoever so like right it's just it feels like the worst of both worlds and that the surface has the kickstand built in where you literally just drop the keyboard on take it off no sort of issues the ipad both of the official ipad keyboards while yes they might not be the smoothest seamless cheapest method of putting a keyboard on but at least they're magnetized right you take the ipad on you take it off you sort of you can fold it up it'll hold it up this is just like it's so the mounting mechanism was the very first thing i'm just like are you serious i have to glue this to my brand new tablet but on the flip side of it the keyboard isn't very good either it's not backlit mm. the tripod while that's solid the keyboard itself is i would say mediocre it feels cheap the keys are kind of hollow and for some bizarre reason the number row is smaller than everything else so i don't know if you can see in like a like one of these press photos here but yeah i can see it, that 
it's slightly smaller for what appears to be no reason because they have a little bit of space on top as well as on the sides. I don't know if they tried to like squeeze in another key than they were used to or whatever, but it's just a bizarre layout and it just doesn't feel good. And the worst thing is, while the tab is actually reasonably priced, so the tab I got uh, here is, it's only $550, which is really like iPad Air pricing. That's like even lower than the Surface Go that I would recommend or obviously an iPad Pro. But then the cover is $180. So it's just like, what are you doing? Why is this so expensive and so mediocre at the same time? So what is the what is it actually like to use this device, right? Because I feel like we're being we're being pretty harsh on on the hardware here. Yes. There, for you to even have considered using this and bringing it to the episode, I'm assuming that using it it must be it must be a good experience in some ways. Yeah, well, so there are certainly things going for this, right? Right. So obviously, when you look at the the ecosystem, and specifically when you look at something like if you're really in the Android or the Google ecosystem, the Android tablet makes a lot of sense, right? Obviously, you have deep integration with everything. Your same apps will work across the board. However, one of the things that sort of and spending time with the S6 has made me really appreciate is how much of this experience owes itself to Chromebooks. Because the thing is, Chromebooks now, for the most part, support Android apps and support Android apps well. And because of that, for a very, very long time, Android tablets were kind of uh, not good. So the last Android tablet I used with real regularity was the original Nexus 7, which came out, oh God, it was like 2012. Classic piece of technology. Absolutely. I mean, it was $200. Yep. It was, had high performance. Yep. It had stock Android. It was great. And as a seven inch tablet, for me, that was back when I was in my iPad mini phase. Of like I wanted a small tablet. The problem is, is that while Android apps were able to scale up to a seven inch screen fairly well, they just didn't really work on those early Galaxy tabs that were like 10 inches and whatnot. Fast forward to today, and a lot of Android apps do work much better. And I would really sort of contribute that to Chrome OS, sort of forcing a lot of these apps to have better support for resizing, better support for multi-windows. How interesting. And that's because Android apps run on Chrome OS, right? Pretty, pretty native. Exactly. Is it native? So no. Um, It depends on the app. So obviously, when it comes to the Galaxy Tab, this is running pure Android. It just works. There's no issues. Yeah. Uh, when, when it comes to Chromebooks, it depends on the app. Some apps are compiled specifically for like x86 and x64, like traditional Intel processors. But on the flip side, some uh, Chromebooks run ARM processors, which basically Android apps work well on Chromebooks without any major exceptions. Okay. So that's an interesting thing, right? Because I have heard for a long time and then just assumed to be the case that like the tablet world for Android is not good because the software experience wasn't that great, which it wasn't for a while. And it it really, it seemed like not a lot of work was being put into Android system features to support tablets, right? Like, yeah, they don't talk about tablets in Google I.O., for example, right? Like they just don't get brought up. So then you assume that the apps fall by the wayside. Like there's not going to be tablet apps if there aren't tablets being sold. But now there's this like weird backdoor of... Chrome OS. Exactly. So when you're using specifically the Tab S6, there are actually two modes that it works in. So when you first boot it up, when you start playing with it, it's in standard Android mode, right? So it's just like you would see like a scaled up version of Android on a bigger screen. So you're typically one app at a time there, or maybe a couple of apps at a time. Does the multitasking experience that I've seen on Samsung phones, that's on here too, I would assume? Yes, yes. So you have some limited functionality and the keyboard and trackpad work natively. So Android has actually had this, I think, pretty much since the beginning, but you have cursor support. It looks exactly like what you would find on like Linux or Mac OS or whatever. Mm-hmm. It works. It's fine. You can scroll. Especially, actually, I will say, out of all of the the keyboard stuff, as much as I'm not a really big fan of the keyboard itself, trackpad, really solid. I have no real complaints. Good. But then you can flip it into DeX mode. Now, I'm assuming you're familiar with DeX. Samsung DeX, this is where you can turn any compatible Samsung device uh, which I found out in a, I think, a mystery tech video that you did. Mm. The, the Z Flip <laughs> is not a Samsung DeX device where you can plug it into like a monitor. Do you have to have a box in the middle or can you just plug it straight into a monitor? You can plug it straight in. So uh, Samsung sell DeX docks, which is a very hard phrase to say, uh, that will basically break out, give you USBs and HDMI, all that kind of stuff. And then you basically have the phone running as guts for a computer at that point and it has a, a more traditional windows style layout right 
Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you could take something like an S20, plug it in with a USB-C cable to a USB-C monitor. And then if that monitor has like some USB-A ports, you could then run a couple of like my mice, keyboard, speakers, whatever from that. And essentially you sit down at your desk, you plug it in and suddenly your phone is acting like a desktop with the advantage of, of course, you still have the same LTE connection or the Wi-Fi connection. And of course, phones have gotten really quite powerful now. So if you have something like the Snapdragon 855, which is in the Tab S6, you're actually getting a decent sort of experience. I've got to send you this. I'm sitting on the. I'm just taking a look at the Samsung Dex page. Oh no! Um, on Samsung's website, I'll put it in the show notes. I just really want everyone to to, <laughs> to take a look at some of the horrendous photoshopping that is occurring in the images. Like why? So they've got like this one image where there's uh, a a woman and she. I guess that they're doing some art, right? Like they're drawing on the device. Yeah. And the perspectives are just like all over the place. It's very strange to me. Why they do this? Like, big <laughs> company can probably handle a photo shoot. Anyway, this weird. It's very weird to me to see things like this sometimes. <sighs> So, this is a great example for Dax as a whole. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. I, I feel like I'm being negative here. Let me give it some, some props, right? Yeah. So, Dex works well on a phone with the caveat that you're running an entire desktop-style operating system from your phone. Yep. So, if you've never seen Dex before, it's like you know using Windows or something, right? So, you have full window management, you have a taskbar, you have the ability to like resize things. Everything works pretty much as you would expect, given the caveat that all of your apps are Android apps. And so, some of them, when they resize, get a little weird. I will say a couple of apps, <clears throat> LastPass doesn't support Dex, which means that when I was using the Tab S6, hmm. every time I needed to log into something, I had to exit Dex go grab my password. That seems strange. I would assume that they would want to be on Chrome OS. Uh, I believe they're on Chrome OS through the Chrome extension inside uh, the browser. I, okay. I think that's okay. it. Right. I'm sh- to be fair, I'm sure there are some security reasons or whatever the case is. But okay, so here's the thing, right? I'm willing to give up some performance. I'm willing to give up some fluidity if I'm using my phone on sort of a desktop style experience, right? Like I get that, right? Obviously it's very cool that that is a function that I can sort of take advantage of the phone that I'm carrying around with me every day. One cable, I've got a monitor, jump into like docs or Word or whatever, that's fine. The problem is, is that I have the exact same sort of compromises on my six, $700 Galaxy tab when I am turning it into Dexbo. So what I've mm. actually done is I've pretty much, you can have it programmed where when you attach the keyboard, it automatically launches Dex. First problem is that it's a slow process to switch to Dex. So you t- attach it. In fact, I can actually show you. We can time this here. So you're on the regular, like, uh, one UI Android screen. Okay. I'm on the Android tablet mode. I'm going to yep. attach the keyboard and it will immediately launch Dex. So ready and okay and we're waiting and we're waiting a nice logo says samsung dex and dex is up that doesn't seem terrible right but the problem is is that a lot of times i was having issues with apps either not working well for example LastPass, or i just simply wanted to take off the keyboard and use it as a tablet and waiting three four seconds to go into dex come out of it it's not the end of the world, but it's not a smooth, seamless experience. And when you have the keyboard attached, does it only allow you to use Dex? No, no. So you can use the keyboard and trackpad in standard Android mode. However, I much prefer the way that Dex uses the window management. So right. it's it even has like snapping like Windows does, right? So you drag a window, mm. you kind of like move it over to the side or to the top, it'll expand it. Like that, I, I appreciate that, right? That is something that I like. And I will give the tab and Dex credit Unlike something like the iPad, it supports a second monitor without having to mirror, right? So actually, I was using it on a shoot, uh, this is shoot, where essentially I had my notes up on the Tab S6, and I was plugged into an external monitor where I had a Discord window that was full screen. So that is actually something that I appreciate. But the problem is, is that it doesn't, it just feels half-baked, right? Like, it's certainly... Mm better than using it in the standard Android mode. And so I don't want to come off as too harsh. But the problem is, is that it feels like I should just be using Chrome OS. That's really sort of my big takeaway. This is where a product like the Pixel Slate 
makes sense if it could be done well. Like I know that that Google didn't do a great job of optimizing Chrome OS for that hardware, and and it was I I used one a bit, and I know all the videos of it, all of the reviews were like this just isn't what it should be. But the idea of focusing on the Android tablet experience, but really moving to a Chrome OS or Dex experience, which can use Android apps, maybe makes more sense for that, right? Just like skip mm-hmm. the work that Apple have done to make iPad OS, which still has ways to go. And you kind of leapfrog them and be like, nope, this is a traditional Windows style experience with smartphone applications that are optimized. Like that seems more sensible. But it seems like so far, with both the experience here with Dex on the Tab S6 and Chrome OS on the Pixel Slate, it hasn't been cracked yet. My big sort of takeaway with the Tab is that it's a great piece of hardware, right? It's performant. It's reasonably priced. Excellent screen. Like, I really do want to give props to the screen, right? Like, having OLED on sort of this size of a display, as well as it being so high resolution, it's great. It's got good battery life. I think Samsung quotes it like 15 hours, but realistically, I was able to get significantly more than something like on the Surface Go. It was in the ballpark of the iPad. It has an in-display fingerprint sensor, as well as their fake face ID, which is literally just taking a photo of your face, essentially. But there's a lot of stuff I like with the hardware, and even the keyboard as expensive and as silly as that is, does make a difference in allowing me to try to use it more so like an actual legitimate real laptop replacement. Mm. The problem is that it's just not great. Like there's, I don't have any major problems. I have a lot of like nitpicks. I'm like, oh, this is silly. That's silly. That's a little slow. This is not quite as smooth as I'd like. But the problem is in this case, all of those things add up. And after spending time with the excellent Surface Go, after spending time with the iPad Pro, it just doesn't seem like this is a worthwhile investment if you were really looking for a laptop replacement. Yeah. It works, it's fine, but it's not good enough. And that's really not acceptable anymore. See, and that takes me all the way back to the beginning of the episode, because this is kind of what I expected your experience was going to be, which just makes me question, who is this for? Right? Like, the, the other products in this category are not only better than this, they are legitimately both very good options. Yep. That, like, I don't feel like I understand who is choosing the Samsung device as the tablet that they're going to buy. Yeah. And I know, like, they've just, as well, like, we're, we're talking about the S6, but they've just come out with the S6 Lite, which is a mm-hmm. very similar product, but I don't believe that it has a keyboard attachment like it's just a tablet and it's a little bit cheaper sometimes feels like to me samsung makes some of these products because they can bundle them mm, yeah you know you can buy this and a phone right like together or you know like you're you're getting a contract with your new phone carrier and they're all going to throw in a galaxy tab for you and like that's not a reason to make a product but i think it it probably helps at least in like them continuing down this line is they can use these products bundled with others to sweeten the deal to bring somebody into the ecosystem. Yeah. And there's certainly something to be said for the Samsung ecosystem, right? I mean, obviously as Z flip gang mm-hmm. people, gang, 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 what, what, what wait, just, I, what's the, how do we say that? Z flip gangers, Z flip gang. Do we want people? gang members? I don't think that's right. Yeah, anyway, but like, yeah, I like that one. Okay, we're okay. the Z flip gang members. Okay. Yeah. No, wait, maybe that's bad. But uh, none of it sounds right. But we'll guess we'll just go with it. <laughs> it's the best of a bad lot, really. There we go. There we go. Well, I mean, my big takeaway is that you know Samsung has a lot going for them in many ways, right? The Z flip is a really polished piece of hardware. Yeah. And I just don't see that same level of polish on the tap. There's a lot of questionable decisions. It's just hard for me to recommend. If I were to recommend a tab, it would probably be something like the Lite or the S5e. I don't think the keyboard and the touchpad is a good move. I feel like this is better as a tablet. But even then, when you're looking at as a tablet, beyond the screen speakers, which admittedly are a very big component of any tablet, I would probably recommend something like 
honestly the base iPad. Like I feel like it's a better tablet. And while yes, you give up a little bit, it also is significantly cheaper. And in my opinion, it's a better device for the vast majority of people. It's interesting. It's cool. I just don't quite sign up. It's just not quite there for me. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Modern Workplace, a podcast from Microsoft. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, Modern Workplace is a monthly podcast that discusses digital transformation and the future of productivity. I love finding new podcasts. I especially love podcasts that feature productivity. It's a passion of mine, and this one's a great one. Um, finding new shows is a wonderful thing, right? You find a new podcast to listen to, you can go back into its back catalog and catch up, and you've got so much great content in there available for you. Each episode brings you access to business and technology leaders who are creating the future. Every episode has a focused topic, a deeper conversation with a Microsoft corporate vice president, plus related news and updates. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, some of the topics that you uh, may be interested in that were on previous episodes is stuff like remote work, the art of teamwork, and the most recent episode, which I checked out, is that uh, talking about how to host virtual festivals, virtual events, when you're used to hosting in-person events, and looking at tips and ways to do that. Go and listen right now. Just search for Modern Workplace wherever you get your podcasts. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E. Or you can just click the link in the show notes and go check it out right now. Our thanks to Modern Workplace and Microsoft for their support of this show and Relay FM. We need to talk about something that you did last episode. What? Last episode? I don't I didn't do anything. What are you talking so about? So we finished recording and Austin's like Hey, I want to edit this episode on the iPad. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So there's a couple of things going on here. One, I edit the show, right? So like, yes. Austin wants to edit an episode. Not only does he want to, I am assuming, edit his first ever podcast. I don't think you've ever edited a podcast before. Yes. You wanted to do it on the iPad. Uh, and yeah. So the episode that you heard was Austin's edit. Like we weren't, we were only going to do it if it sounded good. And I listened to the whole thing. I thought it sounded great. I was very, I was very pleasantly surprised at how great a job Austin did. Well, thank you. Um, but do you want to talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah. So obviously the last few episodes and specifically last episode i went really deep in the ipad and the surface and sort of i haven't touched my normal laptop now in quite a while and i found it to be an interesting experience for a lot of reasons not only just because i'm enjoying sort of playing around with these new gadgets like even the the tab and sort of it makes for i think a good good sort of thing to talk about in the episode but also more personally for me I appreciate the novelty of trying these new things with these new devices, right? Because I think we all get into sort of patterns where, you know, you you have Chrome on your Windows computer that you spend, you know, years and years using and you get really comfortable with things. But then as someone who's in the creative field, I, I feel like I don't like to be bored. You're a, you're a hashtag content creator. There you go. There you go. So I, I like to keep things, and specifically this year, I like to try to sort of shake things up. So I've wanted to edit an episode of the podcast for a while. You're obviously, you have many, many years of excellent, excellent editing behind you. So like, <laughs> I knew I was, <laughs> no, no, obviously you edited probably thousands of podcasts over the oh, years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea how many, but it's, it's, it's definitely a four figure number. Yeah. And I think listening to the show, you, you may or may not realize how much it's edited, but I mean, I can actually share a screenshot of the final edit for yes. what I did on the iPad. Mm -hmm. It was, I would say, north of 100 cuts. I mean, there was, it's obviously not as complicated as I'm sure some of your other shows. And certainly for me, it was the most complicated piece of audio I had ever edited. But what it was, was it was a fun challenge because I used the app Ferrite on the iPad. Mm -hmm. So this was actually a recommendation from you a while ago when we were first talking about iPad stuff. But I found it to be actually a really surprisingly smooth and honestly kind of a fun experience. Yeah, I'm just looking now. So episode seven that I recorded was 268 cuts. Woo! Um, I, 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 I really chop stuff up. It's just how I'm kind of used to doing it when I do these kinds of edits. But I recommended Ferrite to you, um, my friend and co-host on the Upgrade podcast, Jason Snell. He has a show called The Incomparable, which typically has like three or four guests. And he has been editing that show 
every week in Ferrite for years. He also uses Logic Pro for other shows like I do for my editing. Um, but he is always really talking uh, up Ferrite. And I'll actually put a link in the show notes. Jason made a YouTube video kind of going through some of what it takes to, to use this application, which is like a good kind of overview for it. And that's exactly what I used. Good. Oh, I'm pleased. I sent you that. And I, I, I hope that it would help. Um, but it's so I would say like I I have long looked at Ferrite and you know because people would, people always say to me like you are the iPad guy why are you not using this tool right mm-hmm. and it's a very it's a valid question but for me to really get my head around Ferrite and to get the experience from it to be able to edit a show to the typical quality that I'm used to, it's going to take a while for me to really feel comfortable in that application. Of course. And I am waiting, hopefully, that the developer of Ferrite will bring that app to the Mac. Oh, interesting. But, and I, and the developer of the application has spoken about it, like that they've been looking at it, because then my hope would be, well, then I will learn it, and then I will edit my podcast in Ferrite on the Mac, and then I can also edit on the iPad when I want to because I don't want to learn a whole new piece of software to which is you know it's like if I said to you like oh hey why don't you just edit in I don't know like LumaFusion right instead like <laughs> right right a main channel video like in LumaFusion which is mm-hmm. another great iOS app it's kind of, there's more friction there because you're like ah I already know what I'm doing it's going to slow me down I'm moving to a new piece of editing software is a is a big ask right like it's a big job yeah um, if you want to be able to continue to produce things at the level and quality that you're used to so this is a piece of software that i definitely will use one day hoping that they will well really it's a race will ferrite come to the mac or will logic come to the ipad whichever's first i guess will win yeah yeah well, for me, it was interesting because as someone who very much comes from a video background, right? I mean, podcasting is obviously something which is newer to me. And specifically, audio editing is something brand new to me. So there were some things that sort of were definitely transferred over from sort of my mm-hmm. my time sort of editing and things like Premiere and Final Cut. And that obviously, you know, sort of how to listen for the flow of the conversation. And one of the nice things about a podcast, just kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, is how much flexibility you have in making us sound better, right? Like, obviously, we record this over Skype. And there's a lot of sort of, I mean, there's obviously what, like a half second, it's a second delay between us. But the ability in editing to be able to easily move things around to tighten up the edit to essentially make it sound as if we're in the exact same room. And in fact, even better than that, because you can sort of move little like a word here, or sort of if we talk over each other, we can like pull it apart a little bit, like it gives you so much freedom. And for me, I was like, compared to video, like with video, you can't make the kind of cuts that you can make in audio. Absolutely. I can take one of your sentences and pull out an arm, pull out an R, you maybe stumble over a word, I can cut it out and just bring it all together and nobody would ever know. But if you're watching somebody do that on video, it's cut, cut, (laughs) cut, cut, right? Like, you know, like you feel like you're losing your mind, right? Because when I've done some video stuff in the past, I've tried to edit the way that I would normally edit and it's horrific to watch. So you kind of have to, if you're not going to reshoot it, you have to kind of let things be a little bit more... I can't think of I, I don't want to say like a I don't want to make it sound like I'm being critical of, of, of video right like as a medium mm-hmm. but like you maybe have to let things be a little more free-flowing than I would be in the in the audio editing for the show where I can if I want to and I don't do this with everything but I can really clean things up to to a very like precise degree mm-hmm. I come from the school of thought of like you don't want to do that too much in a podcast because you actually end up sounding unnatural because it doesn't sound like a human conversation anymore if you cut absolutely everything out right but you really can be very fastidious with the amount of cuts that you're that you're doing when it comes to audio editing. But, you, you know, being a, a very competent, very good video editor, you can bring over some of that basic knowledge to audio editing. Like, audio and video editing share a lot of the same basic ideas and components. Like, when it comes to taking some raw footage and kind of bringing it to the point that you're happy with. Like, you know, you understand how things sound. You understand, oh, I like this. I don't like this. This part's boring. This part needs to come out. Like, those skills transfer but i was really very 
surprised and pleased because now we can maybe share the work a little bit uh, that you were really good with the edit. And I, I, I was also like super happy with the fact that you were able to produce that episode with Ferrite. Yeah, yeah. So that that was like that was really great for me to hear that because again it's like more validation in my mind of this piece of software that like it's it is completely prime time absolutely and i think i had an advantage just in the fact that i was really coming into it as sort of a clean slate right like i don't have years of logic being burned into my brain i was learning a lot of these concepts as i was editing so it's just like mm-hmm. if ferrite does some things a little differently that's fine because i need to learn the entire thing anyway i can kind of get used to it so for me it was a fun experience and also i think it was a real testament to the ipad now obviously could i have done that same thing in like adobe audition on the surface Probably. Would it have been faster? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, To me, I was actually really impressed with how seamless Ferrite was, how easy it was to pick up. It has full support for the Apple Pencil, for the keyboard, for the trackpad. I prefer Ferrite as an audio editing tool to Adobe Audition on the Mac. I I actually think Ferrite is, is nicer to use. So yeah, no, I'm really pleasantly surprised. So if anyone heard the, the jank of the last episode then you know who to blame but uh if everything sounded good then i'll take all the credit what what did you use did you use the keyboard the pencil the trackpad what were you using everything everything so uh primarily trackpad so um i would use it to like you know say like triple tap to select things and move it back and forth i did use the pencil a little bit for some of the really precise edits but generally speaking in the video editing world i'm very much used to sort of editing based on frames right so like 24 frames in a second or 30 frames in a second so to me i'm I'm very sort of used to like, okay, move over a frame here, cut out a frame of silence there, like sort of so much about a video. And obviously this applies to the audio world is about the flow, right? Mm -hmm. Like obviously you can cut it like crazy, but like you said, if you're just chopping like crazy, it's just going to sound very unnatural. So it's about sort of almost closing your eyes, listening to the flow. And after a while you kind of get used to the way of like, oh, you know what? That sounds natural. I didn't even notice there was a cut there. And working with something like Fair, especially with the keyboard and the touchpad, I was like, you know what? This is not so hard. I can really easily kind of tuck things in. To be fair, listening back to that episode, I definitely was a little bit harsh on a few of the cuts. But generally speaking, I was really happy with just sort of going from never doing that before to grabbing an iPad, grabbing a brand new app and doing quote unquote real work was really cool to me. I would definitely, definitely do it again. I also wanted to follow up on one other thing with you. Are you organized yet? (laughs) Yes, I'm done. It's all perfect. Yeah, you I did am 100% it? organized. Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Oh, amazing. Nothing to talk about here. I've it's I've executed everything flawlessly. Uh, <clears throat> How's it going, really? Like, look, when we spoke a few episodes ago about you transitioning all of your systems to different systems, mm-hmm. there was no world in which I imagined you would do it all, right? Or at least you would do it all at the same time. So I'm kind of wanting to know... Are you using Todoist? Are you using Trello? What how what is that Google Doc looking like? What is happening so far with you? I have actually mostly good news to report. So first of all, excellent. Todoist is great. Thank you for the recommendation. I've been using it every single day since we spoke. Oh, fantastic. That makes me feel really happy because that was the part I really wanted to make sure that you did. So I have a number of projects that I have set up in Todoist. So for example, YouTube's channel for production. I have a project for the test drivers. I have a project for streaming, for personal, for business stuff. I have a bunch of things that are all set up. Todoist has been really nice. I certainly am not a power user yet. So I've set things up fairly straightforwardly. So generally speaking, I create a task. Most tasks have a due date attached. Great. Um, I do have, like for example, for the test drivers in fact actually you helped me set this up i have a recurring task which is show prep so essentially it's like hey did i finish the doc give me a reminder the night before we record make sure i don't need to go and double check anything bring in the sd card for the recorder turn off the air conditioning make sure that i have the microphone in the office like these kind of things that i need to do every time so are they subtasks under the bigger task is that how you? they are great they are yes and then the entire task is recurring every two weeks and then i just sort of adjust it forward or back based on when we actually set our record date so something like that has been great, right? So I have recurring tasks for like every Monday. I uh, update my YouTube, my main channel spreadsheet. So I have all of the numbers set up for the next week. I have sort of random things like, hey, don't forget to post the video tomorrow at 8 a.m., et cetera, et cetera. Like, honestly, 
this has been really nice and I love the fact that it works everywhere. So I have Todoist on the Z Flip, which is where I use it probably 70% of the time. Yep. But I also have it on the iPad and the Surface and it works well there. I have it on the Mac. Pretty much every platform I use, Todoist not only works, but actually works really, really well. And it's a very consistent experience. Absolutely. Across all of them. Like they've done a really good job of that. And in my opinion, in a way that doesn't feel out of place mm-hmm. on any of those devices. You know, like it doesn't feel like an iPhone app, but it also doesn't feel like an Android app. And so I can I'm happy with that. Like when you know, when an application just kind of feels like Todoist, right? Like that's what it feels like, that works for me. You know, like I tend not to like it when it's like oh this uh android app uh, you know it's come to the iphone but still feels like an android app it's like oh yeah that's not so nice but at least with with an app like todoist and I, and I feel like this way you know it's like instagram is like a similar kind of thing they just feel like they are right like that it's not about one platform or the other and i think todoist does a really good job with that but i need so i'm, ple- I'm very pleased there i think the thing that concerns me a little bit still though is are you are you still using that Google Doc? <laughs> I'm actually happy to say no. Okay. I am pretty much I've given up the doc. I'm telling you, man, like I, I'm not like you don't have to pull me kicking and screaming on this one. I've been like I was looking for you to help me out getting away from it because I knew how silly that was. I do keep the dock for... Actually, you know what? I'll say, I actually don't even use the dock as much as I thought I was going to because previously it was kind of like my catch-all for a lot of things. I still use it for like some notes for, you know, the, the Monday meeting or, or something like that. But generally speaking, right. so much of that has even moved over to Trello. Oh, you did do the Trello thing. That's great. I did. Okay. I did. So I have my own Trello board sort of separate from the company one that we've been already using. And that's where I have sort of various ideas and various sort of more of like projects, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm still refining the system but essentially i have sort of one column in my trello board which is essentially like random ideas right so i'm you know in the shower and i'm like oh you know what i want to do a video on the galaxy tab s6 whatever the case is i'll write that down just the general ideas and then usually once to twice a week i will sit down you can't have the z flip in the shower though can you (laughs) (laughs) of course after i completely dry my hands before using my expensive flippy phone yes so i will write out the ideas and then that will sort of live in one column and then once to twice a week i will go through those ideas and i would usually promote them to something that i actually want to take a little bit more seriously because i'll put a lot of like sort of random thoughts and even a lot of those things aren't even full ideas it's like oh i want to make this joke in this video whatever it's like sort of very sort of small fragments but i'll essentially will refine those either into the video scripts that they need to go into or if it's an idea that i I feel good about i'll upgrade it to its own column which is essentially like okay these are ideas i want to make at some point and then from there they generally get graduated into sort of the full overclock production trello board right and that way it's sort of shared with everyone and sort of it goes down the process from pre-pro all the way through being posted and archived so honestly trello has almost taken up more of that between trello and todoist than i've pretty much been using the google doc for at all so realistically that doc is for a couple of notes but i have not really been touching it much at all yeah there's no harm in having something like a google doc where you put notes in right if i have like ideas and they're more than a t- like I want to make a little outline, really write something down. Like I'll put that stuff in Apple Notes, right? And and Google Docs is perfect for that as well, where it's like I have a little idea that I'm working on or like, huh, what what would this look like? And I'll sit down and like if I've got like a big project that I maybe want to start on and like really just write some notes out. But eventually knowing that stuff is going to graduate somewhere else, right? Like, yeah. You know, you can start the idea here, but if it's going to get done or movement will be made at a certain point, tasks are going to be created that relate back to that idea. So having notes and like more, more long form text notes is a definitely a good part of any system in my opinion, but having your tasks only and, you know, living in that document or that document becoming completely polluted by basically everything in your life <laughs> is not so much of a reliable system, right? So like I'm, I am very pleased because it kind of sounds like you're doing everything I had hoped that you would do. Well, okay, not 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 entirely. So okay. the okay. one area, the one area where I've not fully fully embraced the new system is for video production. So I, okay. Trello is kept up, right? When this is a system I've been using for a while, that works well. But I tried at the beginning 
to create a task for every video and sort of lay out the steps of I need to do X and then Y and then Z. And that part didn't really work so well for me. And I think that's something I probably just need to spend more time with. But essentially, I haven't really been keeping the Todoist sort of that task. It's much been more for like random things like, oh, do this, do that. Mm. I haven't been setting it up as a task, setting all the subtasks, sort of checking them off. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to land on that. I did it for three or four videos and it was fine. But to me, it was almost like I couldn't quite get in the process. I was forgetting to update. Like, you know, I finished shooting. I didn't pull my phone out and go, okay, finish shooting. And then the next task is work on thumbnail or whatever the case is. That's, I think, the big area that Todoist can help me with once I sort of lean into that more. Right. See, I would question, though, if maybe you even need to do that. So like for me... So, like, say with this show or with one of my other shows I'm doing every week, you know, I just have a task that comes up on that day, which is, like, edit and publish. Oh. I don't need it. I I have internalized the publishing process, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need for all of some shows, if they're more complicated, I might have a little checklist that I'll do. But, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, record this show edit the show create the artwork and publish i don't need all of those like because Mm -hmm. i know i'm gonna make the show right like i don't need to do this to remind me to record right like that's on the calendar that's happening okay um when it comes to editing again like once the show's done i'm gonna start the editing process like i'm not gonna forget to do that Mm -hmm. but just having like one task that i can tick off to be like all right it's done like that works completely fine for me and i think will for you too because as well like there's so many people around you that are managing their own productivity yes you don't necessarily have to the wheels are in a turning like it's not like you're gonna forget to make youtube videos right it's like <laughs> oh, like a month goes by and you're like oh I, I wasn't checking my phone and now no videos have been made but it yeah but it might be a case of like if you want that video to go up live on a certain day that you'll put that task in so then you can tick it off and be like great that one was done right and like for me with it when it comes to that that's kind of just like a little good feeling of i gotta check that off yeah and i think that's actually okay that makes me feel much better because that's a little bit closer to what i've been doing on the channel so like this needs to be done today this needs to be done monday this needs to be on tuesday etc which has been working well for me i feel like it's between that and especially trello which honestly as i've trusted more and more of the google doc stuff into trello it's actually really sort of made so many things easier of sort of just jumping in adding extra notes to a card or whatever the case is. And it just sort of travels all the way through my personal, from the ideas, all the way up through the production and ultimately all the way through. So actually, I got to say, man, I am very pleasantly surprised with how much more organized I am. Not perfect, still have a long way to go. But I think the the big takeaway for me is that with all the chaos that I've introduced into my life this year, between all the new projects, between all of the new devices, between all of the new software, it feels like it's starting to come together. I feel like my life was like a snow globe that I shook up because I was bored. (laughs) And now it's, it's starting to come together of like, you know what? This feels good. I like doing this. I know how to rely on Todoist and the Surface or Trello in the iPad or whatever the case is. It it feels... I know it sounds crazy. I know every episode I'm going to be coming to you of like, I switched to a 1984 Macintosh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. which not going to rule that out. But from the outside, it might seem crazy. But from the inside, I feel like I am more organized. And ultimately, I feel happier with the tech and the the life that obviously we all live right now in a way that's sort of reassuring to me it's nice to be able to try all of these new things have all this novelty in a time where let's be honest i mean i think most people's lives are pretty monotonous and boring and i feel like this has been a really good outlet for me to tackle a lot of these projects and sort of ultimately have a better appreciation for the things that work in life versus the things that you're sort of forced to just do because that's what you've been doing forever 